Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Today, I want you to begin with me by imagining you're in South Africa back in the 1970s. Uh, apartheid is at its height and uh, you've embarked on a risky project. Uh, you want to build a community center where everyone will be equally welcome, no matter what their color or their race. And so you've designed this building, you've laid the foundation, and it's going to be something really exciting uh, for the future. Uh, you're, you're suddenly called away to another part of the country. And so a little while later, you get a letter. Uh, a new group of builders are now building on your foundation, uh, but they've changed the design. Uh, they're installing two different meeting rooms with two front doors, one for whites only and another one for blacks only. Uh, some of the local people are a bit relieved. They always thought your idea of putting everyone together like that wasn't that good. Uh, others are asking, well, <clears throat> why wouldn't the original idea actually work? Uh, the new builders are saying, well, <laughs> you had some funny ideas and you really didn't have permission to do that kind of design. And they're saying they're from the real authorities. This is the way it should be. Let's now go back a little further in history. I want you now to imagine you're in central South Turkey uh, during the reign, reign of Roman Emperor Claudius. This is back in the first century. Uh, you know, most of the town worship one or more of the local gods or goddesses. Uh, some have started to actually worship the emperor himself. Uh, there's also a significant minority of Jewish people with their own local synagogue. And uh, they're quite threatened by the growing power of the imperial cult and all the usual pagan idolatry. And into this little town comes an unusual little Jew named Paul. And Paul has a project. It's a building project, but uh, he's actually building with people, not with bricks and mortar. And so he lays the foundation for this building and he keeps telling everyone some news that is good, but quite shocking. Uh, according to Paul, there's one God, he's the world's creator, and this one God has a plan. This unveiling took place through a Jew called Jesus, and he's declaring that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who was executed by the Romans, but was raised from the dead. And so that's the beginning of the good news that Paul is sharing, but it doesn't stop there. According to Paul, Jesus' death and resurrection means that God is now building a new family, a single family, a family with no divisions, no separate races, no one table for the Jews and one table for the Gentiles. The God of Israel wants to be the father of the whole world. And so with this good news, Paul lays the foundation, a people building in central South Turkey. And then he moves on. Later down the track, he hears some bad news. There are other people builders who have come in and said, Paul didn't really know what he was doing. We've got it from the real authorities. And this people building needs to have two sections. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but we can't have Jewish believers and Gentile believers living as part of the same family. If Gentile believers want to be part of this inner circle, then they need to become Jews. The men must be circumcised. They must keep the law and uh, make sure that Jews and Gentiles are, are separated. And so that's the real news. If you want to be part of God's family, you've got to keep the law of Moses. Now, if you can imagine this, you can start to understand the book of Galatians and New Testament scholar Tom Wright shares those two illustrations as a powerful way for us to think about what's happening as we read this letter. And today we're continuing on this series that started uh, a few weeks ago on the book of Galatians. 
Paul had evangelized some of the southern districts of Galatia successfully and had planted some churches during his first missionary journey. Uh, he's now returned to Antioch. And while he's in Antioch, some Jewish Christian teachers, often called Judaizers, have infiltrated his new churches with a message that's distorting the good news that Paul had preached. And so before heading off on his second missionary journey, Paul wrote this urgent and somewhat emotional letter, hoping to correct the situation. This is the late 40s. Uh, and so the book of Galatians is one of the earliest of all of the New Testament books that we have today. Their distorted gospel message is often referred to as legalism, which essentially means an inappropriate joining of the grace that comes through Jesus and the Old Testament law that came through Moses. You know, these Judaizers are fine with people coming to Jesus as long as they become good Jews by being circumcised, keeping the Jewish food laws, and as well as the Sabbath days. And so we're going to pick up today Paul's response to this situation and read a few verses from Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today. Obviously, the original letter was written in Greek. And so unless you know Greek, we're all reading various English translation, translations. And the New Living Translation is a very accurate translation, but it also puts it in contemporary language, which makes it pretty easy to understand. So I'm going to read Galatians 3 verses 1 to 5. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe or have faith in the message you heard about Christ. Uh, Paul then goes on to discuss a man named Abraham, showing that Abraham was justified or made right with God through faith, not by keeping the law. In fact, the law only came 430 years later through this man named Moses. So Abraham lived way before the law had been given. And so the real children of Abraham, according to Paul, are not those by natural birth being born a Jew, but those who, like Abraham, place their faith in God. So we go down to verse 6 and read onwards. In the same way, Paul says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Verse 8 to 9, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous. How? Because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations, all peoples, all races will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And so Paul starts to contrast two different ways to live out your faith your spirituality. Let's read verses 11 to 12. So it is clear no one can be made right or justified with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life, or the just will live by faith is another way to say that. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it's through obeying the law 
that a person has life. And so Paul clearly outlines two distinct ways to live, the way of faith and the way of law. Uh, we could phrase these like this, we can either do and live or believe and do. Let's look at the first way, do and live. You know, this is a focus on doing the right thing, obeying the law in order to be loved and accepted by God. You know, a lot of religions today could be summarized in one word, D-O, do. A religion is often seen as about keeping laws and regulations and rules. Do this, don't do this. And if you do the right thing, then God will love you and be pleased with you. Do and live. It starts with you, what you have to do. And these Judaizers in Paul's day were emphasizing this doing. <laughs> Those who obey the law will have life. And so they were focused on the law. Yes, except Jesus. But you've got to do all these laws that Moses gave us. It was kind of Jesus plus your own works and your own effort. We call this works. And so this is one way to live. Do and live. It's about what we can do, our effort, our works. In contrast, uh, Christianity is not spelt do, D-O, it's spelt done, D-O-N-E. Uh, this is a different approach. It's believe and do. The core message of Christianity is it's all been done by Jesus. He has done what we could not do for ourselves, giving us freely of his love and his grace. And so we are now already forgiven, loved, accepted and valued by God. And if we will just believe this, put our faith, put our trust in this, then we have an amazing transformation that takes place in our life. Notice Paul says, the just will live by faith. It's believe and then do. And so now, because you already are loved, accepted, forgiven, do the best thing. Do the right thing. But when we're doing good things, we're not doing them in order to earn God's favor, but because we already are his child. And this is called grace. And so this is the real tension <laughs> back in Paul's day, grace and law, do and live your works, your effort or believe and do faith and then living out of that position of being loved. You know, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law had a, a good purpose. It was a good thing. Uh, Paul talks about this in verse 19 to 25 of chapter 3. shows that the law actually shows us our need for forgiveness. It shows us our wrongdoing, our sin. And it acted like a guardian, a household servant or babysitter to help us grow up and prepare for Christ's coming. You know, theologically, if you've been to Bible college or done some studies, God's work in our life has three aspects. There's three big words, justification, sanctification and glorification. Uh, justification is God's work of choosing freely and graciously to see us as justified or right before him, not because of our own goodness, but because of what Jesus has done, done for us. As someone once said, justification is just as if I had never sinned. And so justification is God's free work of grace through Jesus, forgiving us, choosing us, accepting us. Uh, at the end, we have glorification. One day when Jesus returns, we'll reach perfection or maturity. We'll have a glorified body and we'll enter into the fullness of eternal life forever. So justification is the beginning of our story. Glorification is the amazing culmination of our story. In between time, there's this process called sanctification. Uh, sanctification is God's work in us by his Holy Spirit to help transform us uh, to be like Jesus with our cooperation. Uh, sanctified uh, actually means to be made holy. 
you know, the word holy sometimes can have uh, a lot of uh, baggage with it. But to live a holy life simply means to live life the way God intended us to live it. If you ever bought a product, there's usually some instructions. <laughs> and the instructions are there to help you get the best out of that product. And uh, sometimes we use the product in a wrong way and we damage things. And as they say, if all else fails, read the instructions. The instructions aren't meant to take away life or joy. They're actually meant to help you get the best out of this product. And in many ways, God has designed us. And to be holy is to live according to his instructions, to live life the way he designed it. And it leads to greater degrees of joy and peace and love. Uh, unfortunately, holiness is often seen as an external thing. Uh, where holiness is far more about what's happening inside of you. That's why later on Paul's going to talk about the fruit or the character of the Spirit. And so this is God's work in our life, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so just understanding this process, this journey, helps us to grow in our faith. One of the wonderful, wonderful things in chapter 3 here is this concept of us being children of God. Uh, we continue down to verse 24 now, Galatians 3, verse 24. And I'm going to read through to verse 26 from the New Living Translations. The law was our guardian or schoolmaster to uh, bring us to Christ until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this concept of you and I being children or sons and daughters of God. You know, the the Christian God is one God, but revealed as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, referred to often as the Trinity. And in our relationship with God, we love and worship and get to know God. And that includes knowing God as one, but also knowing and interacting and experiencing Father, Son, and Spirit. We often come to faith through Jesus. We hear about Jesus. He came and he lived and he died on that cross to forgive us, forgive us of our sins. And so we, we fall in love with Jesus. He becomes our savior and we love and we worship Jesus. But that's not the end of the Christian life. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way, the way where? <laughs> the way to the Father. And so Jesus made a way for us to become children of God. And to know God as Father. And then later on, when Jesus ascends, uh, he and the Father send the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And we're to fellowship with the Comforter, the help of the Holy Spirit. And so the Christian life is about doing life in this dance of divinity, of relating to Father, Son, and Spirit. This community of love. You know, for me, I grew up in church. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid and I've heard a lot about God being my father. Our father who is in heaven is a, a common prayer. But I don't think I really understood what it meant to know the love of a father uh, until I became a dad myself. And I still remember when our first child was born, uh, a little boy, a little redhead boy. Uh, his name is Josiah. He's just turned 30. Uh, but I remember holding Josiah in my arms, this little baby, and I was just so overwhelmed. It's an amazing uh, experience to be able to bring a being into the world uh, that will live forever. And I remember holding Josiah and just being overwhelmed with how much I loved him. And uh, in my logical mind, I started thinking, well, why do I love him? He hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> he hasn't kicked a goal. <laughs> 
Um, he hasn't scored A on a test. He, he, he hasn't made any money. In fact, it costs us a lot of money just to get him here. He hasn't done anything, yet I love him more than anything in my world. Take my house away, take my car, take my job, but don't take my little boy. And I thought, if my love for Josiah as a natural human flawed father is not based on what he's done, but simply because he's my child, what does God the Father feel about me and feel about you? And something happened from my head to my heart. I realized as a child of God, God's love for me is not based on my performance. It's not based on how well I did this week. It's based on the fact that I am his child. You know, I've now got three kids and they're all uh, in their 20s. And, you know, if you lined up all the kids in the world, <laughs> I would pick them and say, I want those three. Uh, they're the best kids in the whole world. Um, I love them more than anyone else. You know what? Because they're mine. If you said, have they ever done anything wrong? Let's say, how long have you got? <laughs> Of course they have. Of course they've made some mistakes or made some decisions that I wouldn't have made or displeased me. Uh, but nothing has changed the fact that they're my children and I love them <laughs> unconditionally, not based on what or how they're doing, but just because they're mine. And you know, that's the way God feels about you today. As his child, as his son, as his daughter, his love for you is not based on your performance, how well you're doing, whether you've kicked a goal or scored an A or made a lot of money. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got all to do with his relationship with you. And so we use this phrase, unconditional love. Uh, it's not in the Bible, but the concept is it's a love without conditions. Later on in Romans, Paul would say, while we were still sinners, God loved us. In other words, not based on how well we're doing. It was a free choice to love us simply because of his amazing uh, character as a God of love. And so this, this is quite powerful. This is quite freeing. In fact, it can free us from something called performance orientation. You know, we live in a culture where we can be orientated towards always having to perform for love and for approval. Uh, I heard a little concept uh, years ago called living for the audience of one. You know, every one of us experiences something called the grandstand effect. The grandstand effect. You know, from a very young age, we have people watching us from the grandstands and responding to our choices and actions. And if we do something that people like, they cheer us on. Yay! <laughs> if we do something people dislike, then they might frown. Well, they might even boo-boo us. And so over time, if we're not careful, we learn to play to the grandstand. <laughs> Come on, we all thrive on applause. And so we can seek to please people because we love the approval, the cheering. And we, we all hate disapproval, so we can try not to disappoint everybody. The danger with this is that we can easily become addicted to the approval of others. And then when we're facing a choice that we know others may not approve of, we don't have the courage to make that tough call, to do what is right, because we're, we're living for the people in our grandstand. You know, maturity or growing up requires us to gradually empty our grandstand. Parents, teachers, leaders, they're all important people, but we need to get them down on the field as coaches and advisors, not in the grandstand, and we need to free ourselves from living for the approval of others. 
If you're always living for someone else's approval, then you're not free. Uh, the only person we want to have in that grandstand is God. <laughs> and we want to live for the audience of one. And we want to do things that please God and seek to avoid things that displease God. Live for the audience of one, for God. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And have others around you for advice and uh, counsel. But don't be addicted to the approval that comes from others. This is one of the wonderful things that we can have in Jesus to be free from performance orientation, from always feeling like I've got to measure up and what do people think of me. Uh, to be free from that addiction is quite, quite powerful. Paul goes on and says uh, one of the indicators of being children of God, verse 27, is all have you been united with Christ in baptism put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And so water baptism is a way that we enter into Christ, demonstrating our faith in him and also enter into the church, which is his body. And uh, symbolically, we go down into the water. Uh, that's bearing the old life, the old way of living and performing. And thank God we don't hold people under the water. We then rise up out of the water to put on a new life. And so it's about putting off the old way of do and live. And it's taking on the new life of believe and do. And in baptism, we also receive the family name. Baptize you into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so that's uh, a physical um, sacrament of being baptized into Christ, identifying with Jesus and also the church. And so for those of you who have been water baptized, that's a wonderful thing to remember and remind yourself of. And if you haven't yet taken that step, then I'm sure there'll be an opportunity coming up where you can not only believe in Jesus, but make that public statement, that public confession of being now free in Christ. As we go on towards the last part of chapter three, um, we have some final thoughts in this section about being one in Christ. I think this is really relevant for our times uh, right now. Galatians 3, 28-29, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise belongs to you. As we started this message, God's building a new family with no divisions, not one with two rooms and two doors. No, it's a new family with no divisions, and it's called the church. The church is to be one family in Christ. And racial, socioeconomic, and gender distinctions still exist, but they're no longer a basis for discrimination, oppression, or exclusion. You know, we're told that back in the first century, a Jewish male in his morning prayer would often say this. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a Gentile, a slave or a woman. What a prayer. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. I'm not a slave and I'm not a woman. That was a prayer that every Jewish male said. In fact, Paul, as a Pharisee, would have in his pre-Christian life prayed this prayer every day. Now, paradoxically, he's flipping this upside down, saying these distinctions, uh, they still exist, but they're now no longer a means for prejudice. We're all one in Christ. He actually reverses this prayer and says, and is now no longer Jew or Gentile. Uh, racial 
um, separation shouldn't be happening. There's no longer slave or free, these socioeconomic boundaries of the rich and the poor and the haves and the have-nots and the upper class and the lower class. And there's no male or female. Now, now again, there's still gender, but gender shouldn't be a reason for discrimination. If a woman has a leadership gift, what should she do? She should lead. If a woman has a teaching gift, what should she do? Teach. And so uh, ministry should be based on giftedness and godliness, not on gender. Unfortunately, uh, throughout church history, there's been racial divisions, there's been socioeconomic divisions, and there's been patriarchy where men have often ruled and suppressed the voice and the leadership of women. And so Paul is saying that's not what church is meant to be. I think it's very, re uh, very interesting that the recent racial riots in the U.S., um, are grabbing the attention of people right around the globe uh, after the tragic death of George Floyd and this movement, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Again, some people are saying, oh, don't all lives matter? Well, of course, all lives matter. But when any one group and here a particular race is being suppressed or discriminated against or oppressed, then their voice needs to be heard. And so Black Lives Matter. You know, to understand this, we need to realize we're all susceptible to something called blind privilege. Blind privilege, uh, privileges that we have that we may not be aware of. You know, for me, by birth, <laughs> I am white, in case you didn't notice. I'm male, I'm tall, I'm middle class, I'm educated, and I was born in a Christian home. Now, all of those definers there, I didn't, I didn't earn those, I didn't choose those, they were privileges given me at my birth. I'm white, I'm male, I'm tall, I'm middle class, I'm educated, and I'm from a Christian home. And so if I'm not careful, it's easy for me to live life blind to those privileges. Because I've got no idea what it would be to be black, to walk down the street, to walk into a shop and to be black and to be treated differently. I've got no idea what it's like to be a female, to be a woman. I've got no idea what it's like to be short or shorter. I can always see what's happening. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be poor. I don't know what it's like to be uneducated or to grow up in a Muslim home in Australia and to be someone of a, a different religion. I don't understand. If I'm not careful, that privilege can blind me. You know, um, my family joke because when we go out shopping or if we're in crowds, Often people, it, my family will follow me because everyone moves out of my way. I make a wake because <laughs> no one, you know, no one tries to bump into me. I make room and so my family will get behind me. But for my, my wife, Nicole, who's shorter, female, you know, she'll walk down the street and she's often having to avoid people. So we all have this thing called blind privilege. Uh, here, Paul's saying the church should be leading the way in loving and honoring all people regardless of race, skin color, gender, education, job or lack of it, net worth or anything else. We are to lead the way in building a family or a community where we're all one in Christ, regardless of our differences. And so what a wonderful message we have here in Galatians, freedom in Christ. We are justified through faith in Jesus, not by our works. We are children of God already, loved, accepted, forgiven, valued. And so we seek to please God by the way we live, because we already are loved, not in order to earn God's love. I encourage you today, break free from the approval of others and from performance orientation. Clear the grandstand 
and live for the audience of one. And finally, let's lead the way in treating every human being as equal before God, worthy of our love, honour and respect, because they are made in the image of God. Let's keep putting our faith in Jesus, trusting him with our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for your love and amazing grace. May we live our lives on the foundation of your incredible love for us. I pray for those listening today who haven't placed their faith in you, that they would do so today, entrusting their life to yours. For those that may be having doubts and fears and questions today, that they would trust you more fully. Finally, I pray for peace in our world, particularly at this time. And may we as a church community lead the way in living a life of love, of justice, of compassion for all. Bless everyone at Praise Center as we go about our work in the world this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.